Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for standing by and welcome to the Course Entertainment Q1 2020 Analyst and Investor Call. At this time, participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during the session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you require further assistance, please press star 0. Please be advised that today's conference is being recorded. Thank you. Now I'd like to hand the conference over to your speaker for today. Doug Murphy, President and CEO of Course Entertainment, please go ahead. Thank you, Operator, and good morning, everyone, and welcome to Course Entertainment's Fiscal 2020 First Quarter Earnings Call. I'm Doug Murphy, and joining me this morning is John Gosling, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. Before I read the cautionary statement, I'd like to remind everyone that there are a series of slides that accompany this morning's call. You can find them on our website at www.coruscant.com under the Investor Relations section and on our webcast. Now let's move to the standard cautionary statement found on slide two. Today's discussion contains forward-looking statements that may involve risks and uncertainties, additional information concerning factors that could cause actual results to materially differ from those in our forward-looking statements are contained in the company's filing with the Canadian Securities Administrators on CDAR. With that, I'll now turn to our first quarter results and offer some perspective on the positive operating momentum we are seeing in fiscal 2020, starting on slide three. As Canada's leading pure play media and content company, we are uniquely positioned for success with a powerful portfolio of channel brands driven by strategic global partnerships and with our fast-growing owned content businesses at Nelvana, Chorus Studios, KidsCam Press, and Toonboom. We are setting the industry standard in advanced advertising by pioneering new solutions to evolve how television is sold. And our team remains steadfast in the disciplined execution of our plan to continuously maximize audiences and in turn monetize those audiences as we rationalize and evolve our operating model. This guides us as we make smart investments to grow our portfolio of businesses be they advertising, distribution, or content creation and licensing. This disciplined approach has endured time and again, providing resilience when faced with the challenges of disruption as we identify opportunities and innovate to create solutions in a fast-changing media environment. At Chorus, our diversified portfolio has delivered a solid start to the year with consolidated results in line with our expectations. We generated $468 million of consolidated revenue for the quarter, which includes the impact of changes made to our specialty TV portfolio with the shuttering of smaller channels to strengthen our offering for viewers. We are extremely pleased with this revenue result. Our Q1 consolidated segment profit was $184 million, and our strong free cash flow of $53 million for the quarter demonstrates once again the powerful ability of our portfolio to generate cash, enabling us to pay down the notable $49 million of bank debt in Q1. Ever-improving financial flexibility funds the investments we are making in our business in the pursuit of revenue growth. 
John will take you through our detailed segment results later in this call. Moving to slide four. Chorus is an innovative entrepreneurial company with outstanding talent, cherished brands, and great content. We are optimizing our television portfolio with fewer, bigger channels that stand out in a crowded marketplace and attract valuable audiences. This has meant disposing of a non-core asset, Teletino, last March, and shutting down smaller services in our portfolio, such as Sundance in fiscal 2018, IFC, Cosmo, and most recently FYI in fiscal 20. In turn, we are investing in content to grow audiences on global and our bigger specialty television brands, providing increased value to our advertisers and our distribution partners with strong differentiated channels. Over to slide five. Our ambition at Chorus is to diversify our revenue base by pursuing the global market for premium video content and build a third revenue stream beyond our media business in Canada. These international growth ambitions are rooted in our very important and growing content business. Nelvana Animation Studio is nearly 50 years old, employs hundreds of animators, and is expected to deliver almost 200 half-hour equivalent episodes in the fiscal year. Last year, we ramped up the investment in our own content production slate. Importantly, we have greenlit second seasons of Esme and Roy, Hotel Transylvania, the TV series, and Corn and Pig, given their success with audiences around the world. Chorus Studios is also growing as a producer of premium lifestyle and factual reality content for our networks. We are accelerating sales in the global market and have 21 series in production for fiscal 2020, including new seasons of fan favorites Island of Brian, Save My Reno, and Backyard Builds. I'm encouraged that so many of our series are going into second and third seasons, which is fundamental to brand building and increases the potential to create franchise IP worldwide. The results of this strategy are apparent in the delivery of double-digit growth as promised in Q1. Moving to slide six. As you know, we are focused on maximizing our audiences on all platforms and then monetizing those audiences to achieve revenue growth. Last November, we hosted an investor education session here at Chorus Key to provide a deep dive into our revenue team's go-to-market strategy. The session reviewed current advertising and subscriber trends, as well as the many initiatives underway at Chorus. These include innovations in advanced ad tech, building more advertising inventory, growing our presence on social and digital platforms, and delivering content to audiences in new ways, including the evolution of our global TV app and the new distribution platforms such as Stack TV. We won't revisit these in detail today in our prepared remarks as the archived session is available in the investor relations section of our website under events and presentations. We are happy to take questions on our go-to-market revenue strategies. Our confidence that we are on the right track to sustainable growth is unwavering. With that, John will now take us through the detailed Q1 results. Thanks, Doug. Good morning, everyone. I'll start on slide seven. As Doug mentioned earlier, we delivered a solid start to the year with consolidated results that met our expectations. Effective September 1st, 2019, we adopted International Financial Accounting Standards, IFRS 16, related to the accounting for leases on a modified retrospective basis, an approach which does not adjust the results of prior periods. The significant impacts of the IFRS 16 accounting standard on our Q1 2020 financial results are as follows. 
six point sorry three point four million dollar increase in segment profit, a three point nine million dollar increase in free cash flow, and our leverage moves to three point zero eight times net debt to segment profit, reflecting the addition of one hundred fifty seven million dollars to total debt and only one quarter of the segment profit benefit. Excluding the impact of IFRS 16, net debt to segment profit would have been the same as it was at August 31st, 2019. Of course, consolidated revenues of $468 million for the quarter, slightly ahead of the prior year. These results represent a positive start to our fiscal year driven by our strong fall schedule on global and the benefits of our overall revenue diversification strategy with significant contributions from new digital revenue initiatives and our content business. Consolidated segment profit of $184 million for the quarter was down 4% over the prior year as we invested in more owned and controlled content and absorbed the impact of the TLN disposal, which was partially offset by the benefit of the transition to IFRS 16. We delivered consolidated segment profit margins of 39% for the quarter, and that's down from 41% last year. Consolidated net income attributable to shareholders for the quarter was $78 million, or $0.37 per share, and that's up compared to $60 million or $0.28 cents per share in the prior year. That's primarily due to accelerated amortization of television brand assets at the beginning of fiscal 2019. Further details can be found in this quarter's MD&A. Free cash flow of $53 million was ahead of the $42 million in the prior year quarter. This reflects an improvement in working capital, reduced interest payments on bank debt, lower restructuring and integration costs, and the removal of base lease expenses under IFRS 16, that's offset by greater programming and film investments, as well as higher cash taxes. Now, turning to slide six, our TV results for the quarter. Overall, TV segment revenues were up 1%. We have provided a waterfall chart this quarter, as there are a few items to highlight that contributed to TV revenue of $430 million in Q1, and that's compared to $426 million in the prior year. The disposition of TLN in March 2019 and the discontinuation of two specialty channels, IFC and Cosmo, on September 30, 2019, resulted in TV revenue decreases in the quarter of $4.7 million and $2.5 million, respectively. This was more than offset by the benefit of $2.5 million in retroactive adjustments driven by a large BDU distribution agreement renewal in the quarter and $8.5 million of combined growth from new advertising revenue streams as well as merchandising, distribution, and other revenues. Our focus on delivering consolidated revenue growth is evident with these results. In Q1, we delivered a 1% increase in TV advertising revenue, and that's 2% pro forma TLN, as we benefited from a strong fall schedule, growth in digital advertising, and a continued uptake of our advanced advertising offerings. Subscriber revenue was down 2% compared to prior year. Adjusting for the disposition of TLN in the prior year, subscriber revenue would have been essentially flat. The 15% increase in merchandising, distribution, and other revenues over the prior year quarter reflects the increased content licensing revenue for Novana and Core Studios, as well as revenue from the relaunch of Bakugan. TV expenses in the quarter increased by 4% over the prior year. Direct costs of sales were up 7%, reflecting higher programming costs, including new programming output deals, Novana film amortization, and other costs of sales. G&A expenses remain consistent with the prior year as we invest in multiple initiatives to drive revenue growth. Overall, TV segment profit decreased 3% in the quarter, and TV segment profits were 42% compared to 43% in the prior year period. Now let's turn to radio results as outlined on slide 9. Radio segment revenues were $38 million, a decrease of $3.4 million for the quarter, and that was impacted by softness in the entertainment and retail advertising environment, as well as continued economic and ratings challenges in Alberta. Radio segment profit was $12 million, 
a decrease of $1 million in the quarter given the challenging market, market conditions. However, our segment profit margin of 32% was consistent with the prior year, reflecting our continued focus on expense control. We made a notable change to our capital allocation policy in November as seen on slide 10. With our strong free cash flow and the weakness in our share price, we took the opportunity to implement a normal course issuer bid to buy back up to 5% of our public flow to Class B shares. We believe this will provide yet another mechanism to return value to our shareholders. At December 31st, 2019, we had repurchased nearly 1.7 million shares under the program. As detailed in our press release this morning, we declared a quarterly dividend of six cents per Class B share, providing a highly market competitive dividend yield of approximately 4.3%. Our investments to optimize the core and build for the future are working. We have delivered double-digit growth from many of our new digital and short-form video content initiatives and are starting to see tangible benefits from our own more content strategy. Lastly, we continue to strengthen our balance sheets through our strong track record of debt reduction. This continues to be a key priority as demonstrated by the $49 million in bank debt repayments for the quarter. With that, I'll turn it back to Doug. Thank you, John. I'm now on slide 11. It's the start of a new year and a new decade for that matter, and I can't help but reflect on the momentum we have built to date. We bought Shaw Media in April 2016 because we recognized that size, scope, and scale were essential to compete and win. Today, we remain focused on delivering uh, consistent, albeit modest, consolidated revenue growth from our portfolio of businesses in order to pay down our bank debt and make smart investments for the future. Our strong fiscal 2019 results, along with the solid results delivered today, validate that our plan at Chorus is working. I am confident we are on the right track. Of course, we are doing everything in our power to create new opportunities as we position our company for the future while working within the confines of the current regulatory system. We are setting the standard in ad tech and see a compelling opportunity ahead for our industry, reflecting the unique market structure in Canada with three large broadcasters, two of whom are vertically integrated and owned by distributors. And those distributors are bringing to the Canadian market two distinct video distribution platforms, X1 and MediaKind, which will both improve our viewers' experience but also provide us with a genuine opportunity to align as an industry to better serve the needs of our advertisers. Chorus has been and will continue to advocate for the need to work together on an industry solution in Canada. This includes the adoption of common audience segments, improving the viewer experience and value proposition, both linear and on-demand, creating more revenue opportunities with ad insertion on VOD, for example, there are others, and sharing data within the industry ecosystem to strengthen our business and help us compete with the foreign-owned, unregulated digital media broadcasters. There is a real opportunity right now to create a more robust business broadcast ecosystem for advertisers and agencies to target audiences for maximum campaign impact and accelerate the transformation of how we sell television. Last year, Chorus won Waterstone's coveted Most Admired Corporate Culture Award as a result of our values-based culture. One of these values at Chorus is to think beyond, which challenges us to imagine what's possible, event opportunities, and create new solutions. Our industry has made significant strides and is doing its part to grow and evolve our business models. Now it's time for Ottawa to come to the table. The Broadcasting and Telecom Legislative Review Panel will deliver its long-awaited report later this month. 
We encourage the newly elected government to think beyond and quickly implement change. It is important that we work together, government and industry, to build a new policy framework that works for all of us. Canadian media companies must be able to move faster and to invest where we want to invest. Canadian broadcasting policies still do not allow us that flexibility. At Chorus, we maximize audiences through great storytelling, as do other Canadian broadcasters. In fact, Canada has created some of the biggest stars in the world. Our industry needs the freedom to grow and evolve and to take Canadian talent and content to the next level. In this quarter coming, the next quarter, and the quarter behind that, we will continue to advocate for policies which enable a competitive Canadian media and content industry, but one that is driven by market forces. Finally, moving to slide 12, I want to close our call today by reiterating the confidence we have in our portfolio of businesses at Chorus. You've heard us speak of revenue diversity today. Every business at Chorus is important and contributing to our top-line results. Whether it's advertising on TV or radio, both nationally across the country or in 39 local markets and communities, or whether it's our subscriber revenues, the recurring business from our distributors for our leading portfolio of specialty channels, or whether it's our content business now growing at double digits as expected, or our rapidly growing digital business resulting from our many smart investments over the last couple of years, each component of our portfolio contributes to the pursuit of consistent, albeit modest, consolidated revenue growth quarter after quarter. We will see ups and downs in various parts of the business from quarter to quarter, but it is the sum of the parts that matter. We are off to a solid start in F20 with ongoing momentum, and as we celebrate our 20th anniversary year as a company, we will continue to apply the same disciplined approach to provide value for our audiences, partners, clients, and shareholders. We will now be happy to take your questions. Thank you, and over to you, operator. Certainly. At this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Adam Shine with National Bank Financial, your line is open. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, so happy new year and uh, obviously Doug uh, with respect to regulation, good luck with I think you're what fourth uh, heritage minister in the last 5 or so years. So yeah, hopefully he you. sticks around. Um with respect to the Q1, I mean, when we when we last had the Q4 call, sorry, yeah, the Q4 call, you know, I think you were talking about maybe flat-ish uh, type of results in advertising. So did things sort of pick up a little bit in the back half of the period? Can you speak a little bit maybe to, you know, federal election spending as an incremental contributor, but also maybe importantly to any changes um, you know, at YouTube vis-a-vis kids-related advertising, whether you saw some flow back, um, you know, into the conventional space or specialty as well. Thank you, Adam, and happy near to you as well. Um, uh, first of all, the elections were not really material to our uh, revenue whatsoever. Um, the federal government introduced the Elections Act, which actually restricted spending uh, this election cycle versus the one four years earlier. So uh, yeah, th- that wasn't really a, a factor, uh, unfortunately. It would have been nice if it was. Um, in terms of the YouTube change in regulation on kids, that hasn't, in fact, affected us either. That's effectively a calendar 2020 item, uh, and it's, it's relatively de minimis uh, for our business model. We don't rely on YouTube to generate revenue uh, in the same way. Um, in terms of the first quarter, um, I would say the notable uh, one there is continued progress in audience segment selling. It's now north of 26%. 
uh, which is our metric. I know it's hard for you guys to track that, but um, we track that as a percentage of our national business, and it continues to grow. Uptake continues to be extremely impressive. Um, and this underscores my comments about uh, how we're setting the standard for advanced advertising in Canada. So I think, you know, it's, it's you know, we're, as you know, uh, Q1 was a tough comp, so we're thrilled with the result, and our team is, uh, you know, staying focused on executing our plan. With respect to, uh, you know, I guess, tough comp, um, and, you know, obviously uh, you held up in a seasonally strong uh, and important Q1 period. As we look ahead, you know, to Q2, you didn't really comment at all in regards to early trends, but can you maybe speak to those at all in, in the Q2? The only comment we're going to give going forward now is on consolidated revenue growth, and uh, we're confident we can get stable, albeit modest, growth in consolidated revenue, and that's the real note I'm trying to make today is we are a portfolio of businesses, Adam, and um, all of them are important to us. We're investing in uh, diversifying our revenue base, and the results, I think, are quite apparent in Q1 with the strength in our content business. So um, our focus, uh, the whole team's focus, of course, is to deliver consolidated revenue growth. No, listen, I agree with that statement. It, it just gets you into trouble with the other stuff anyway. Um, maybe one question quickly for John. Um, just vis-a-vis -vis the, uh, the TV spend, I think it was a little incrementally higher than, than anticipated, and uh, you know, maybe there were some timing issues, but you, you, know, you did call out uh, the fact that there was some added staffing because of your digital and technology initiatives and presumably yeah. some additional AMWORT costs related to uh, the Bakugan sales. But anything else maybe from a timing perspective uh, in regards to modeling for the rest of the year? Sure. I'll, I'll kind of go through the, the pieces for Q1, and that'll um, I'll add some commentary on, on what we see going forward. So if you look at, um, you know, I said cost of sales was up 7% in TV. So that's roughly uh, three pieces and about a third each. Uh, the first one is program amortization, and, and I talked about foreign programming costs. That, that can be subject to timing. Uh, Q1 is a heavy period for new episodes, but we do have new output deals from Adult Swim, Hallmark, and Discovery. So that is part of the increase. So I'd say, you know, to the extent that we can ever be precise on, on foreign programming for global, yeah, there could be some timing effects there. Uh, but on the specialty side, that's pretty locked. So, you know, part of that increase will, will be sustained. Um, if I look at the Nelvana Film Award, I'd say that's, that's temporary. The slate's bigger, Bakugan's there, um, and, uh, you know, because production's ramping, we have seen an increase in AMORT on the, on the film AMORT. That looks like it's going to continue into Q2 and then probably go back to kind of prior year levels for Q3 and Q4. And then on, on the other stuff, kind of revenue-related, you could almost consider pass-through type costs that, that stick to some of the revenue. Again, that's probably uh, a Q1 impact and, and likely to return to prior year levels going forward. So, you know, there's, there's sort of a mixture in there of, of what will continue and what was specific to Q1. And then on the G&A side, you mentioned... Uh, headcount, salaries, and benefits. Yeah, that's up a little bit in Q1. That's partly some some new headcount to support those initiatives. It's also just annual, you know, regular merit type increases that um, that we see now. On the flip side of that, you know, commission costs will be down a little bit year over year because we're not seeing the kind of growth uh, that we had through last year. So that's that's going to be helpful, and we'll continue to have other, you know, maybe platform related costs. You want to call it that for um, for some of the digital initiatives as well. Well, okay, great. That. Thanks that's for that call. Okay. Thank you, Adam. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. Vince Valentini with TD Securities. Your line is open. Yeah, thanks very much. <clears throat> Sorry, John. I, I'm not sure I caught what that third bucket was of, of costs that stick to the revenues. Are you talking about commissions or? 
Uh, not necessarily. It could be, you know, some of the revenue comes with a, with a higher related cost associated with it, right, you know, sort of right out of the gate. Uh, that's why I call it pass-through. It's not, it's not always that, but uh, it's, you know, think of it as, as lower margin revenues that, that we have uh, and saw some pretty good growth in, in Q1. So that's, that's what that category is. It's, car, it's sort of our other, other cost of sales, if you want to call it that. But it was, it was fairly significant, mostly because uh, in the prior year we just didn't have a lot of that revenue. That didn't kick until Q2 last year. So this would be some of the digital initiatives within TV. It's not part of the content division. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, and on the global side, just to clarify, so there were more episodes delivered in Q1 this year versus Q1 last year from all your, your primary partners in the States, and that caused a bit of timing issue, but global specific costs related to global's foreign programming should come back to more normal levels in Q2 and Q3. Is that correct? For global, uh, yes. And I guess the one kind of bigger unknown for this year in the back half is going to be the Olympics. So, you know, we saw in 2018 that with the Winter Olympics, that created a, a real change in the pattern of deliveries uh, in the back half of that year. I mean, it, it moved out of Q2 into Q3 and then into Q4. So that's a little bit harder to predict right now for us. We don't know how the competitive networks, and we're a big CBS um, uh, you know, carrier, if you want to call it that, in terms of our primetime programming. So, you know, how CBS is going to program against NBC during the Olympics, I don't think we have a very clear view of that right now. I would also say, Vincent, Doug, that we had um, more hours in simulcast Q1 this year than we had a uh, year prior, so there would have been some incremental um, cost increase accordingly. Okay. Another clarification um, for you, maybe, Doug, is the – I appreciate the lack of – segmented detail in terms of guidance, and I, I agree that that's a prudent uh, approach. But <clears throat> to clarify, were you saying <clears throat> consolidated revenue growth will be stable or slightly positive in Q2, or are you just saying that's for the full year? Uh, a quarter over quarter, that's what we're shooting for events. So, I mean, Q, Q, Q2, is, you know, that's the next quarter we're, we're targeting, and we're working, working our tail off on that. And the team's uh, aligned around working all those lines of business and the portfolio to con get that to consolidated result. And is that – are you adjusting for TLN, Cosmo, IFC when you yeah. say that? It Just TLN on that. That's the only pro forma adjustment we'll make. I guess, Vince, I mean, the reality of it is the other headwind is, is radio right now, right? And we're, yeah. not, we're not trying to dodge that. So, you know, that's why we talk consolidated, not TV. No, no, but even – Given the Cosmo and IFC shut down, and given the very strong advertising comp last year, I mean, you know, even stable on a consolidated basis would seem would seem quite. Uh, I, want to, I don't want to say heroic, but quite good. Um, I can, I'll say heroic. We're we're, we're thrilled to that, for that. that. That's exactly what we're trying to accomplish. I mean, we want to make sure everybody realizes that we we're very confident we can get to stable consolidated uh, year over year and um and that's kind of like the base case and obviously we're gunning for modest growth year over year and as the sum of the parts are considered that's what we're going to try to deliver and last clarification on that is is the the renewal uh of the large carriage deal is all of the retro revenue related to that booked in Q1 or could some of that spill into Q2 no it's all in Q1 okay perfect I just and I just want to clarify on IFRS 16 if I could. So, the 3.4 million EBITDA boost in Q1 is that indicative of what we'll see every quarter? So it's in the range of 14 million for the full year. Yes, it's uh, it's pretty straight line. Okay, 
and then on free cash flow, some companies there's no impact on free cash flow. Some companies there's a boost. You seem to be recording it as a boost. So you can just can you just walk us through what what makes free cash flow go up 3.9 million? Are you not sure. recording the financing charges as a drag against free cash flow? No, I think it, it's it, it's not that. It's that um, if you look at the the definition of free cash flow for us, it's 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 a gap definition. So it takes uh, the operating subtotal and the investing subtotal off the cash flow statement, and that's that's the basis for the free cash flow calculation. So, with IFRS 16, the the lease payments become debt repayments, and they end up in the financing section. So they've been effectively moved out of operating down into financing, and you can see them they're they're identified on separate lines in the cash flow statement. So that's that's what's happening. Um, we're just moving it within the cash flow statement, and that's because of our definition of free cash flow. That's why the the number goes up, and that's about a $15 million increase for 2020. So $15 million for the full year just because of the shell game of where things show up under IFRS 16. Yeah. Did, when your earlier commentary on the last call being, you know, around $300 million on free cash flow, maybe even slightly below, did you take into consideration that potential $15 million boost? Yes. Thank you. Thanks, man. Happy New Year. Maharyagi with Desjardins, your line is open. Yep. Happy New Year uh, to you as well, Doug. I uh, wanted to ask you about your uh, ad tech uh, uh, endeavors. And, uh, you know, you've been talking about, uh, you know, the need for the industry to, to coalesce around uh, a system where everybody can get upside uh, working together. Uh, how much of your revenue in advertising is flowing from these ad, uh, new uh, TV ad revenues that are coming from the new tech platforms that you have launched so far? Well, the um, I think in, in the, we're, as I said before, it's, it's a growing portion of our national TV ad. It was 26%. I'm not sure, we've, Myra, we've broken out the actual number for all of you, so I'm going to um, maybe we'll follow up with a call after the fact on that one once I clarify what we've disclosed. Um, but the, the real opportunity here, there's a, couple, there's a couple of notes I want to make. The real opportunity here, first of all, is to acknowledge what we're hearing from our agency partners, the, you know, the five major agencies that direct 95% of the national money in Canada, and that is they love the audience segment selling. They would love to see the industry on some common definition of segment selling so they could more, um, you know, uh, with more agility, you know, move the money into the TV segment selling to better uh, uh, kind of defend against the digital players who are hyper-targeted. So that's that's kind of one note. And, you know, we're, we're not yet at the, in the position to announce more par partners in the common segment selling, but there uh, are a number of the big players in Canada who are kind of working with us now to consider how to do that. The second thing, which is um, a pointed comment I made in my remarks is, and that is that the industry in Canada, quite frankly, is really doing some, I think, some outstanding work. Uh, you know, the two new video platforms are going to be fantastic for viewers. Um, uh, we're working together on ad tech. We're working together on a variety of, of initiatives. We need Ottawa to get going. And, um, you know, the industry can only do so much, but we're all shackled together on some of these age-old confines. And part of the note here is, um, at some point in time, we need this new government to step up and um, make change that is authoritative and impactful and immediate. So that's the other piece of the note that I'm trying to make. 
Okay, and and so where do you see uh, as a percentage of your, let's say, ad revenues uh, ending the year? If you, if if you're talking about one quarter uh, right now, do you see that moving a lot uh, before the end of the year, or it's a, it's a multi-year? Let's say, it, let's it, be. It's hard to tell. Here's what, here's what I'll tell you. Okay, if you look at Q1 over the last three years, in 2018 it was 10% of our national business. A year ago it was 17. Now it's 26. So that trajectory, I would say you could just extrapolate that. Okay. Okay. Uh, perfect. And and on uh, Nelvana, um, you know, I'm very, um, I, I love watching Hotel Transylvania. So uh, kudos to you for continuing that series. <laughs> um, you, know, you, can, you can thank Adam Sandler for that, quite honestly, but yeah, go, go ahead. I uh, wanted to more know about the cost involved in uh, in you know, improving and uh, launching these uh, series worldwide, as you mentioned, and trying to get another bucket of revenues coming from worldwide sales. Uh, what are we looking at in terms of cost to get a important position to deliver on, on, on that uh, project? Well, um, in, in when, when, every time we ramp up a new series, is always front-loaded um, production and amortization costs in the film you know, P&D side. So that that's that is kind of like the scale. And once you get once you start delivering, then you know the the front-end uh, production investment is behind you, and you start you know capturing margin. And it's always better to be, as I made in my comments, second, third, fourth seasons are always better than just one season, one and done. Is not what we're trying to do. Our content team has been given very clear instructions to have subsequent seasons and everything we're making because we want to try to build, you know, franchise IP worldwide. So, you know, there, there's a there's a bit of a front-end load on the production investment, and once you start scaling, it, it then kind of comes in. I'd say, I don't know if you want to add anything on that. Yeah, I mean, back to the cash flow statement, it seems like today's call is brought to you by the cash flow statement. Um, net film investment in the quarter was about $15.5 and that was up from 10.6 last year. So that's a, a line you'll see every quarter. Uh, you can see what we're investing. Now, that can be net of tax credits, depending on timing, but um, you know that's that's an indication of the ramp up in investment that we've seen, and uh, and you know that's what's going to drive the top line. It should be steady uh, at these levels. Yeah, and then I also Further. say that the the economics of of Nelvana are are one thing, and um, and we're we're happy to have a conversation separately on this one. The economics of Core Studios are, are a different model. Um, so Core Studios case, um, you know, we we effectively have a virtual studio wherein we work with independent producers happily, and we co-create content, and uh, and so the 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 investment in that regard is is a, um, kind of a lighter investment than is the kind of captive studio model we have with Nelvana. So there's a very there's a there's a number of different kind of um, models we employ to build our content business, and that that just doesn't even get to Tune Boom, which is the one of our unheralded businesses, which is an international business. It's having some very nice growth. Um, it's the dominant animation software for 2D. Um, so, I mean, there, there's a recent movie launch called, named Claws, which was on Netflix, which uh, has been heralded with a number of awards, and that was made using Toon Boom, which we're very proud of. So, you know, we have a, we have a, a really nice little emerging content business here, and it's one I, I made a comment over the summer that, will be a double-digit growth for the rest of my life, and it was a bit of a bold statement, but I'm pleased to say that we're going to be there. Okay, and uh, so that gets me into the the point of all this, I guess, for me, in terms of you know, you're targeting flattish to improving, slightly improving revenue year on year. 
uh, hope you know for for the second quarter and I guess for the year as well. Um, what does that mean to segment profit? Uh, how should we look at segment profit, and when do you think segment profit uh, will turn? We'll see the same kind of flattish to increasing trend uh, as you get that investment done and move forward with with the revenue generation that you can get from it. You know, it, it's a very good question, and and we get it sometimes in the form of, of margin outlook. Uh, type questions as well. I'd say, you know, if you look at, you know, what I said um, earlier on on the call about the cost of sales line, that's where we're going to see pressure, and that's both from what we're just talking about, the, the ramp up in the film investment and the amortization that will come from that, and also on the on the programming side. And uh, so, you know, I, I think that's what's going to, to put some pressure on the margin for sure. Uh, when that starts to really turn around is, you know, it's driven by timing of a whole bunch of things, it, uh, you know, it, it's a little bit hard to predict because we don't know exactly how some of those costs are going to flow from quarter to quarter. So I, I guess, with, you know, I know uh, you like to, to try to get me to give quarterly uh, EBITDA guidance, but it's something that we really can't do. No, no, it's just, you know, more more trend-wise. Uh, so let's say if I adjust for IFRS 16 and uh, um, you know, we should not hold our breath in terms of EBITDA for 2020 in terms of flattish. You know, the the cost on on these investments is gonna off uh, be more than IFRS uh, adjustments that you that you had or you're going to benefit from, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, perfect. And the last question on uh, free cash flow utilization. So, uh, as you mentioned in your presentation, you have a few items that you want to invest in uh, or deploy capital in. Uh, as you mentioned, the production is one. Uh, you also have the NCIB and the debt repayment. Can you put them in order of priority for, for us, please? I would say uh, the first priority is to make sure the needs of the business are being funded. Um, our team has brought us a number of great opportunities over the last couple of years. You know, our social digital agency, Soda, Complex Media, Stack TV. So, you know, we encourage a, a culture of entrepreneurialism. And as I mentioned in my comments, the Think Beyond Value is our, the value that underscores our operating plan this year. So we we will make funded investments in um, in ideas that the team brings us. Um, that said, uh, we're not confused about the importance of deleveraging. Uh, and so, you know, the, the, I think when you look at your models, the, what I'd encourage you guys to think about <clears throat> is the equity value uh, increase that's going to occur as we keep paying down bank debt over the coming quarters and years. Our business remains highly cash generative, um, and so I think bank debt repayment is, you know, after we funded the needs of the business uh, is, is the next priority. Of course, funding the dividend uh, is there. The NCIB was added uh, because we just felt, quite frankly, that um, the, the, the market reaction after the last quarter was um, surprising, and um, we wanted to take advantage of that because we think we're still grossly undervalued given the cash that we generate and given stable top-line performance and ongoing delevering. Um, and so that's, that's an item that we'll see through for the rest of this year. We can buy up to 10 million shares. And then M&A, we're you know, kind of sitting on the sidelines. We're watching with interest a number of uh, distressed assets out there, um, but we have no intention of moving quickly at the moment. We're really focused on our, our plan. 
Okay, so you're below the three uh, time uh, net debt to EBITDA that you had set yourself to be under uh, a few years back. And uh, do you have uh, another objective you want to achieve in terms of uh, reducing your leverage going forward? So, so Matt, we, we were certainly heading down that path um, you know, coming off of last year. The IFRS 16 change pushed us back up over three. So, you know, we won't be able to report kind of an old versus new metric going forward. Um, that's something that... Uh, but but that you're at 2.8 if we use the same type of, you know... Yeah, uh, if we do, but we're, we're technically not using that anymore. So the, right. the target of under three is now being compared to that 3.08 number that we're reporting. So, you know, I, I think as long as we're over the target, the first step is to get back under the target, and then, you know, do we uh, revisit the target will be what we look at once we, we get there. So there's no sense revising the target down right now. Uh, given that we're already above the target. Now, others have done the other, the opposite when this change happened and it pushed their leverage up. They actually took their leverage target ranges up. Uh, right. we, we don't have to do that. So, um, so we're, I, I guess the answer is we're, we're happy to, to stay at under three being the target for now until we, until we get back under that on the new definition. Yeah, and just, I mean, the other, I think, the other thing you're, you're, I think you're trying to get at is we want to keep delevering. Yeah. So, our, our, so clearly our goal is to keep paying out bank debt because we appreciate the, the, the you know, the, the modeling, you know, of the equity value accordingly. So, um, you know, every time we look at internal investments, we always look at a cash on cash return. And, um, you know, it, and it's a very disciplined process. And if we, if we don't have confidence we can get cash back in the door from cash out the door, then we're going to pay, repay bank debt. That's our default. And so um, that, that's the discipline with which we operate the business. Okay. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Jeff Fan with Scotiabank. Your line is open. Good morning, guys. Happy New Year. Um, Thanks, just a quick clarification on the free cash flow to Vince's question. So um, similar to like the $300 million, if we take out the IFRS uh, quote-unquote benefit, that's $15 million. Um, there was also, I guess, this year roughly $20 million related to Canadian CPE spend. Um, is that that's still expected to be paid out? I know you've asked for some relief on timing, but uh, that we should consider for 2020? I think right now we should. That's our base case. And, and that's, that's $20 million, um, when you read the fund. That's $20 million of amortization, not necessarily cash. The cash could be a bit more than that. But, but timing on CPE cash is is spread, right? I mean, some of the 2020 um, programming that Doug talked about, that was already being invested in in 2019. And, and on the flip side, some of the money will go into 2021. So, uh, you know, that it's a bit of a continuum in the way that cash moves. But yeah, in the base case, we have us funding that additional CP obligation in 20. But 20, like, I guess, net-net, I mean, and 20 million is the kind of net number that we should be thinking about once we consider timing and airmort and cash sure if, if you're blending all those lines together um, I think you know we've said in the past that we do see the cash line for programming and film moving up this year yeah uh, and, okay. it's, and it's for that reason as well as some additional foreign costs as well as the Nolvana investments okay um, just on the new output deals um, you mentioned Adult Swim Hallmark um, the the revenue related to some of these output deals, and I guess if you can talk about the potential operating leverage off of these new output deals, um, not only in ads but also um, what you're doing with Stack TV. Can you talk a little bit about that as you kind of look out the next 
either a few quarters, few years, just how you want to how you want to kind of talk about uh, how that may trend. Yeah, so it's it's hard to read, pull it apart discreetly, but I can I can give you two specific examples with regards to both those uh, um, you know, output deals. You know, once again, W is the number one channel in the country over Christmas, including conventional stations. Um, uh, you might remember that we have all of our specialties now on floating rate cards, which gives us the opportunity to to price more dynamically. Um, and so, you know, it, you just stitch those two realities together, and you, you get a nice incremental revenue bump because you've got you know the leading specialty channel with pricing flexibility and number and you know great great content. Uh, the second example would be uh, Adult Swim, Rick and Morty, uh, which was a massive breakout hit. Um, it helped, uh, it, not only did it help us on, uh, on our specialty channels, but it helped to propel um, SAG TV through the, through the season. Um, uh, you know, obviously with, with uh, the Christmas shopping season upon us and the kind of network effect of the Amazon system, uh, we saw a nice leg up. We're not going to disclose anything about subs, so we'll get ahead of that question. But um, let's just say that that Rick and Morty's uh, service from Adult Swim was one of the most watched uh, episodes on our SAC TV product line. So, so it's, it's very evident to us that those investments, while they're showing up as as, as inflation in the form of programming, um, they are necessary and important as we strengthen our core business and use those to deploy um, content on new platforms. I guess just uh, I'll give you a specific um, kind of numerical example, Jeff. On Adult Swim in Q1, the ad revenue was up 60% year over year, and that's comparing to, to action, obviously, a year ago. And then sub revenue was up 14% in Q1. So, you know, there's, there's real growth there um, coming from that programming. And, and if, if you wouldn't mind me just extrapolating a little bit, because the other piece that, that, that I, I think everybody's aware of, but, you know, we're, we're really trying to – have fewer, bigger channels. So, um, you know, in some regards, we're purposefully walking away from weak services that don't matter to anybody, IFC, Sundance, Cosmo, FYI, in favor of making investments in content that do matter, either as specific channels like Adult Swim or uh, branded blocks like Hallmark on W. And that's, that's part of how we're positioning the business for the future. Okay. And then just a, maybe a bigger picture question. Um, um, I guess next week Comcast is going to launch their Peacock. Um, I think it will be one, if not well, the first at least traditional uh, broadcasting unit to to really focus uh, on the AdVod opportunity in the U.S. with uh, ad tech and, and advanced advertising platforms. Um, Doug, what's your view about that opportunity, particularly in Canada, and how and do you think course may be positioned or, or can be positioned for that opportunity? Um, that's uh, a great question. The, I, think, I, think, I think the AVOD is a real big opportunity in Canada. Um, yeah, I, think the, I think the SWAP business is a crowded space, quite frankly. There's already lots of uh, research out there about you know, subscription fatigue. You know? um, so uh, you know, we're looking at all these, all, all these platforms. Um, you know, we talked about during our, our go-to-market uh, investor education session about investments we're making to uh, launch a new global Go app. Um, we'll, we'll be providing more information on that in the in the months ahead. Um, we think there is a lot of opportunity in the AVOD space. We hear from our agencies all the time. They want more premium video, um, long-form premium video on digital to monetize. There's just not enough of it out there. Um, and most of the premium TV content that's online is on a sub uh, an SVOD basis. So 
I quite frankly think that Peacock's on the right track. Um, you know, we're, we're partners with NBCU on a number of fronts, so we're obviously working together on understanding what they want to do. And, uh, you know, we are uh, mindful of the fact that there's a lot of viewing that happens outside of the, you know, current bundle system. We, we've learned um, dramatically about that from our Stack TV experience. And so finding ways to get our content, um, on, you know, to, to new users on new platforms is clearly a, an opportunity for us. And whether that is AVOD, SVOD, or some hybrid, we're looking at all those scenarios. So I think, I think Peacock's on to something, and, um, you know, we're learning a lot. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you. Again, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. We'll pause for a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Again, that is star 1 on your telephone keypad. Right. So, operator, sounds like we are uh, we're done for today. This concludes the Course Entertainment Q1 2020 Analyst and Investor Call. We thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.